All right, here we go. This is now, we are now in the season, or preseason at least. This is your latest episode of Under the Dome for the 2017 season. We just had our first preseason game. So we are now officially in game mode. So I'm your host, Alan Orrick, and I'm here with my partner, Sean Williams. How you doing tonight, Sean? Live and in living color from the Westman Road Under the Dome uh, uh, I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Good to uh, to finally get back to black and gold Florida Key football on Thursday night. That lasted for about two series, uh, <laughs> but we're we're going to talk a whole lot more about the uh, the, the Cleveland game uh, in, in a bit. Right now, I want to thank the uh, the Fan First Actions team for sponsoring our show. Uh, and invite you guys to not only on YouTube and on iTunes and also please go to our page on Facebook under the home podcast all caps uh, and uh, please become a member of what we're doing we are at, at last count we have 1.3k in terms of membership and that's in one year we look to expand we're going to take over the world but uh, all that being said, we're going to um, – I have a very special announcement that I teased earlier on our Facebook page. Uh, uh, I got confirmation to talk about our annual uh, season kickoff show that we're going to be doing this year on Saturday, September 9th from 8 to 10 p.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, today I got confirmation on – you want to, uh, if I consider to be a, uh, a headlining guest, uh, we are going to uh, welcome into the show on our our season show a special guest, her T.O.P. from, I believe, the Times Picayune, correct? Correct. Well, no. Um, you know what? I'm terrible. Uh, hang on a second here. I want to say he's the advocate. I don't think there's anybody left at the Times Picayune, but I could very well be wrong. I feel terrible. I should have known this. Um, I put this down three times today. None of those three books are here. Uh, anyway, it's not going to take long. I will tell you, he did come from the Kansas City Chiefs. That's what he used. Yes, he's on. He's in the Times Times Picayune. He and John uh, Katzenstein, both are NOLA.com, yes. Times Pick Your Nose. I just I fact check myself. Uh, well, you know, here's, <laughs> <laughs> you know what happens. This is what happens when you don't read stuff online anymore. You just follow him on Twitter. That I know who he is, and I know about him. I just don't happen to want, uh, read his stuff on the newspaper site, I read his stuff on Twitter. And if I link up to a story, and it doesn't even register what I'm looking at, I'm reading the content of the story. So, I guess... I, I have to tell you guys, um, I love Herbie. Uh, he does a fantastic <clears throat> job. I, I follow him as best I can. I have great respect for the guy, not only in terms of being a, a beat writer for 
the Saints, but uh, there's so many things about this man that, that's there to uh, to be held and looked at and respected. He's a he's a American veteran, uh, and we're going to get into a lot of a lot more of that uh, on the ninth. Uh, he will be our our special guest coming to shoot if you want to come with that. Uh, but it, it I'm very proud to be able to announce that we. Uh, confirmed today going to uh to our very special guest tonight well i you know i'm i'm gonna probably take a step aside from the uh from the saints talk with him a little bit and ask him a little bit about his time covering the kansas city chiefs um because uh, i think the chiefs and the packers both because of small market teams have a lot in common with the saints um and kansas city is one of those it's almost a college town with an NFL team. They play Arrowhead Steams, a college kind of atmosphere, uh, barbecues in the parking lot, you know, all the things you would see like in a a Saturday afternoon at Tiger Stadium, waiting for a Saturday night game at Tiger Stadium. It's that same kind of atmosphere going to Arrowhead. So uh, I'd love to talk to him about that and compare and contrast what he sees with the Saints and what he experienced with Kansas City as their beat writer. All that being said, we'll cover that uh, next week, of course, with him. Um, let's talk about the news of the week. It's not the game. It was Delvin Bro and the story yesterday that our own Nick Underhood, Underhill broke. Uh, that uh, Delvin Bro is being shopped by the uh, New Orleans Saints. And... One of the reasons that was being said was because Sean Payton is tired of injured players not being available uh, for practice, not being available for game day. You saw that was a message he sent with uh, Danelle Ellaby, and it seems that Delvin Bro's the next one on his list. Um, let's talk a little bit about this, Sean. First off, after the news broke, we um we didn't see or hear much from uh, Delvin Bro, but he left the facility in a walking boot and a cr- and crutches, and immediately the story came on afterwards that he was injured. And as we all know, you really can't trade injured players; uh, they have to pass a physical uh, for them to uh, for their team to accept the trade. You can't just dump injured players on another another team. How do you read this, Sean? How do you read this whole Delvin Bro thing? Well, I got to be completely honest. Uh, you got to understand, first and foremost, and as you and I were discussing off the air, I think that the biggest thing that needs to be remembered in this whole scenario is, number one, people don't seem to acknowledge and uh fully appreciate that deal plays out stands to lose maybe more than anyone in this equation if it doesn't work out uh, okay now that being said to be totally honest with you my from the job was not that the Saints wanted to get rid of Delvin bro but Sean Payton needs desperately to take charge of this or take a handle on this situation. Uh, get 
front of it and send a message, if you will, at, you know, I don't think that there's any, uh, any two ways about it. You, the New Orleans Saints need Dustin Bro to be that number one shutdown that he has been. Because uh, from all indications, number two that you're going to employ once it becomes, uh, once it gets to be week one, the number two that you're going to employ is still going to be a rookie. And I don't care how great he may be, how much potential he may have, there is still some things for a rookie to see, to recognize, and to adjust to from a college playing style to the professional level. That's just it, – it's not going to be a seamless transition for, for Lattimore. Well – You need Delvin Bro to be that number one shutdown <clears> – <throat> for lack of a better way of putting it, just at standing sidelines. And regardless of what anybody may think not, there's people watching. You have an entire locker room seeing how you handle this guy that, uh, from all indications, has a leg bruise. He's made practice or two through this entire training camp. And I believe that Allen is the one that I saw on Facebook or, or one of our chat groups maybe yesterday that's saying if Sean Payton needs to send a message to this locker room that you're not going to miss training camp over a leg bruise and come out of it unscathed. Uh, what we were talking about on the air, off the air before we started this show. Um, I said that in many ways, Sean has apparently heard all the talk that the fans have been saying online, that the fans have been saying on the, on the radio shows, and the fans have been saying in, in newspapers or whatever, that the Greenbrier made the Saints soft. And, the Green, and Sean has been running soft training camps, um, letting guys get away with stuff, not, not have, kind of losing the team, not having to fire because he's been there for 10 years. Uh, players are kind of tuned him out. They're just going to do what they do. And because of that, that's why the Saints have been 7-9 for three straight seasons. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that, but he is taking the attitude this year that I'm going to reestablish order. So he is running a 2006 kind of training camp. If you read the beat writers, what they're saying about the camps, they're very physical. Um, when it's when they allow live contact, it's hard hitting. Now they're doing, they're trying to be smart, and they're doing hitting, and then resting. You're seeing some veteran players take days off. You're seeing a lot of rest, recover, hit, rest, recover and classroom work being done in between. So he is taking into consideration that you can't do what they used to do in training camp, you know, 40 years ago, where Hank Strand ran three a days, where you had a you know, hard-hitting practice in the morning, one in the afternoon, then he had one after dinner, like 7 o'clock that night, 7 to 9 o'clock that night, another, another uh, 
physical in pads kind of training uh, kind of uh, practice. So he is running a tougher camp. They're practicing a lot more out in the heat, kind of like what they did back in Jackson in 2006. I thought at least they would spend more time indoors, and they're not. Uh, all that being said, I think he's also tired of talented players staying on the sidelines instead of being in the camp because he's tired of the excuse that, well, we would have been better if we had player A, B, C, and D who were all out for the year with injuries or all mistime and injuries. He wants guys to be out there practicing every game for every game, practicing every practice and training camp. He doesn't want those guys sitting in the sideline. Absolutely. So I think, yeah. I think the, the talk about trading him was kind of like when you have in a contract impasse, the talk about moving on past a player that we're just going to work with the players we got. If you're not here, it doesn't matter kind of thing. It's kind of a message being sent to bro. Get off your ass and come out here. Don't milk this. Like you said, don't milk this for all training camp. And then all of a sudden, like Oral Roberts just came in and, oh, my God, I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm ready to go. It's week one. I'm in great shape. Let's go. I'm not going to waste my time in this summer heat messing around and going to these meaningless games. I'm going to be ready for week one. Um, and I think that's – and I think Bro's response to that was, I'll show you. I'm going to come out in a walking boot and a cast. So I'm going to make you look like the asshole who is calling me out when I'm really hurt. What you're getting out of this right now. I don't think that Delvin Bro is going to be playing for some other team next year. I don't – I mean, no. this year. I don't think that Delvin Bro is in danger of being cut unless, of course, this message just kind of like how it fell on deaf ears with Wayne Gandy way back in 2006 when he had the, the recliner in the locker room and Sean had that thing thrown out. Um and told Wayne Gandy, the chair goes, you'll be next. Uh, and, of course, Gandy was gone after that. I, I, I don't think Bro is going to let it get to that point. I don't think Sean's going to let it get to that point. But don't be surprised if you see P.J. Williams suddenly move up on the depth chart and Ken Crawley move up ahead of him as a psychological ploy. He's going yeah. back to the Bill Parcells roots that he came here with. Yeah. Absolutely. But Bill Parcells was probably one of the most psychological coaches. Bill Belichick has absolutely nothing on. Well, that's where he learned it from. But Parcells is the master. Absolutely. My favorite Bill Parcells story, and Peter, <laughs> Peter King has told this, but this is my favorite Bill Parcells story that's Saints related. The Los Angeles Rams, and we'll talk about the Rams later on this year, too, when we play them, but uh, the Los Angeles Rams had a tackle by the name of Irv Pankey. And Irv Pankey, for whatever reason, Probably be one of the very greatest of all time. Yeah, he and, uh, he and uh, <laughs> uh, oh, uh, Orlando Pace, and I can't think of the man who played for 
Uh, Jackie Slater. Yeah. yeah. Slater. Jackie Slater, Orlando Pace, and Irv Pankey. All right, Irv Pankey gave um, Lawrence Taylor a lot of problems when the Rams played the, uh, the, uh, the Giants in the playoffs and those few times they played the regular season. So Parcells takes an airline ticket and lays it on the stool in front of Lawrence Taylor's locker. Lawrence Taylor looks at it, says, what the hell is this? So coach put it there, go see coach. Taylor walks in, Parcells is sitting at his desk and he throws a ticket down on Parcells' desk. He says, what's this? And he says, um, that's a ticket to New Orleans. To, to go fly down there uh, and go see Pat Swilling this week. Pat Swilling doesn't have a problem uh, beating Irv Pankey, but you do, evidently. So what I want you to do, you don't even need to switch jerseys. You go down and play in New Orleans this week. Send Pat Swilling up there, up here to play for us because I'd like to win this ball game. Now, Lawrence Taylor <laughs> took that about as well as you or I would take that. A profanity-laced tirade ensues. Taylor storms out of the office, throws a ticket in the garbage can, and proceeds that Sunday to destroy Irv Pankey. So, yeah, the message was sent pretty clearly. Um, and, one of, I, and I love that story. I, I do, too. That's one of my all-time favorite Parcells uh, stories. And, and uh, the point of all of that is you – Especially, and, and something about sales, I believe, translates over uh, to Peyton, if you want to call it that. Uh, the, they don't just come in and, and coach two to five years in an organization. Uh, Peyton is going into his 11th or 12th. Well, uh, 11th season because you can't. He was out all of 2012, so it's 11. His 11th yeah, season. That, that, that that's why I have a hard time keeping count. Uh, yeah. Uh, but anyway, as, again, as we were talking about earlier, uh, once a a head coach passes that decade mark with the same team, mm -hmm. that bar continues to raise because. There's, uh, there are people that believe that eventually the message falls to deaf ears. It gets stale, and people just don't listen like they did in the beginning. And, and I think this, that, and that's basically the reason why uh, deeply that Sean is probably has probably more to lose in going into the season than just about anybody in the Saints organization. Some people will tell you that anything short of a, at least a wild card berth will mean his job. Now, I, I'm not going to begin to speculate on that because I don't believe that's fair to either him or the team. In terms of this and bro thing, where do you see it, it progressing from here? How do you – what do you see maybe as being an amicable 
conclusion for this entire scenario to reach? Rowe gets his ass out in the practice field and starts practicing and makes plays out in the secondary and uh, shows Sean that he can he can still be a, an impact player, uh, play exceed his level that he played in 2015. I mean, that's, that's the only way it can really be resolved uh, because if it's not resolved that way, um, the Saints will get rid of him. I mean, I don't mean that in the sense that uh, Roe is in danger of being cut, but I do mean that in the sense that um, Sean's not going to put up with foolishness. Um, Sean, well, I don't, I don't I, believe that stakes could be any higher. No, I, I, we talked about this off the air too. I don't think, even with a 79 record, I don't think Tom Benson is going to fire Sean Payton. I do think that another 79 record means that there will be dramatic changes in the team. I think whether that means that Drew Brees comes back, you know, in next season, uh, what kind of free agents they sign next season, whatever. I do, I do think that there will be some changes, and Sean will not be the coach past 2018. Okay, I think at 90 years old, Benson, even though he just bought Dixie Brewery and is bringing back Dixie Beer, so it's showing he's still active. He is not up for another coaching search. Uh, I think anything that would involve a coaching search, excuse me, coaching search would be up to his wife, Gail, and Dennis Lasher, and those people would make those decisions. But Sean is playing, or coaching, I should say, and take, treating this season like this is his make-or-break season, Okay. And I think that's why I said it's going back to 2006 with his training camp and his approach to things. I think he feels like this team has to show something finally because the fans are not going to sit through a, a team that feels like it's still running a treadmill for the fourth year in a row. They don't want to hear about injuries. They don't want to hear about not enough talent. They don't want to hear – any any more excuses? You've got to take that next step. You've got to get back to the postseason. You don't. I'm not saying they have to get to the Super Bowl. It's not Super Bowl a bust, but it is playoffs a bust. It is. You've got to have a winning record, and if you don't win the division, at least make the wild card as the fifth seed. Don't back in an eight and eight, nine and seven record. You've got to go in with a double-digit win season. So, yeah, I think he's got that pressure he's put on himself. Because I think his so expectations... People seem, people seem to... You know, anybody that has a, uh, has a device seems to believe firmly and apparently with all fervor that they're, they have an opinion and that it amounts to way more than it does. 
was, uh, and you know, whatever. But uh, people, when it comes to professional sports franchises, people are going to vote with their pocketbook. And we yeah. saw a, a year ago, and dear God, I can't believe I'm referencing this. Please forgive me. Uh, but hopefully we'll gloss beyond the uh, the details and see the point that I'm trying to make. As we saw a year ago in San Francisco, uh, people are going to vote with their pocketbooks. If they don't agree with you, if they don't like the fact that your head coach has thrown up three consecutive seven and nine seasons, they're going to stop buying tickets. They're going to stop buying merchandise. Those are things that, regardless of how much your owner loves your coach, uh, how much your GM loves your coach or is in lockstep with your coach, those are things that cannot be ignored. Those are things that make or break your organization. If you're not making it's, it's the, you're, you're, seeing this, you're seeing a lot of the same things. Okay, easy there. Okay, you're seeing a lot of the same. Okay, you're seeing a lot of the same things out of the Pelicans too. Um, the Pelicans have have a lot of pressure on them to make, and they're playing in a, in a tough conference in basketball, the toughest division and the toughest conference in basketball. But that same pressure is on that team too, because just like Drew Brees, whether or not he's going to be here in 2018. You know, what's the future with Anthony Davis? What's the future with Boogie Cousins? What is the future for this franchise? You know, enough with the losing, enough with the injury excuses. If you want people to go see the team play, you know, they've got to show that they are not only competitive, but they can compete in the playoffs, get to that first round, and then actually do something. They're tired of playing at the string in April. They're tired of the Saints playing at the string in December. You know, we're having draft talk before Thanksgiving. Um, that's that's the pressure these both these clubs that Benson owns are under right now. And I think Tom Benson has said that. Um, it doesn't mean that they're going to fire. Again, it doesn't mean he's going to fire everybody. But I think the message is clear that you know, they, we're not going to tolerate mediocrity anymore. We're too good of a team to be mediocre. We have a Hall of Fame quarterback. We can win with the talent we have, you know, but they've got to be available. They've got to produce. We can't have a Pro Bowl lineup of players standing on the sidelines and you're playing with scrubs. Um, so I, I think that you know, Benson's going to have to Ben I mean not Benson, Peyton's going to have to come in. I can't I can't get somebody in front of wheels before I make uh, Okay, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh ben, uh Benson, I mean Peyton's going to have to uh produce. He's going to have to do something this season. So I think with the to answer your question, make a long question answer even longer. I, I think it, it, it does going to have to come down to Bro coming out and playing uh, because he's at, he's under contract. Uh, 
He's in a contract year. He's got to produce, um, or the Saints are just going to move on from him. So absolutely. Let, let's uh, let's. I went way too long on that on that last. No, segment. no, let's no. Talk about uh, I, I, irrelevant because uh, you have uh, being in the position that we're in, and uh, I love it. We we feel these questions oh, from Tuesday to Tuesday. You know, mm-hmm. things like this happen, and people come to us. Not that we're uh, it's great in mind. Uh, it, I, I don't know what happened to Kim Jong-un or whatever his name is. Uh, I, world problems like that. But uh, I do know this team, and I do have an opinion, and it's I, I like to uh, – and maybe giving myself – credit but i like to, that I, it's an informed opinion um you and i both i know that we uh we these questions all along and it, it's great to be able to have this forum such as this to address it um but i'm sorry i interrupted you go ahead oh no i'm just gonna go um go to talk about the cleveland browns uh preseason game because that of course um, is the first example, and automatically, I, I called it this on Friday, overreaction Friday. Um, too many people looked at a game that had Chase Daniels, or Chase Daniels starting, <laughs> and playing a whopping two series, um, where you had Michael Thomas play for about uh series and a half you had mark ingram drew Brees, and adrian peterson on the sidelines cam jordan i don't think he played um that's what i was about to ask you yeah kiaka was only made a cameo appearance uh alex okafor may have played a whopping three series if that long you know, and people are like going, oh, my God, we lost the Browns. How can we lose to the Browns? And, and I'm like, did you not see that first half? Did you not see the Cleveland Browns didn't get a first down until the second quarter when the Saints started making wholesale changes? Did you not see, you know, you, how you and bad? I, you, <laughs> you and I have be the voice of reason here uh you know people jump conclusions and they they're ready to jump off buildings basically but uh you gotta see it for what it is the pre uh for lack of a better way of putting it preseason football is not about the scoreboard you have to it's keep a- it in context it's about uh, excuse me it's about a uh, how do I put this? Uh, it's about a a live uh, resume, if you will. Um, it's so that these coaches can evaluate this talent on someone besides their teammates. It's basically a controlled scrimmage. Yeah, it's a glorified practice. That's what I call it—a glorified practice. Um, Cleveland scored because Garrett Grayson fumbled. Cleveland scored on two go routes, one against um, Damian Swan and one against uh, um, Michael. I mean, uh, 
safety. I can't think of his name. Marcus, Mark, um, the CFL player, Eric Harris. Eric Harris. Almost said Marcus Bell, and he hasn't been on the team for a long time. But Eric Harris. So, you know, it's not – if it was a regular season game, Sean Payton doesn't run a, a jet sweep inside the, the three-yard line on fourth down. If it's yeah. a regular season game that matters, um, you know, we, we run better passing plays, okay? You know, we're trying – um, Nasib um, Ryan Nasib is trying to run a two-minute drill, throwing to the likes of, uh, you know, what Tevin Durrell. Um, I don't even remember all the guys. That, I think one of the guys got cut the next day. Was uh, <laughs> I think Lambert Williams? So you know, it, it's yeah. If it you've got to you've got to like, look at that from that standpoint. Now, all that being said. All that being if said, it was a relevant. If it was a relevant game. Garrett Grayson has been handing out uh, cups of water rather than being yeah. on the field. <laughs> well, and uh, and that's what I was going to say. That being said, it is a time to evaluate players, and yes. <clears throat> it's obvious that Chase Daniels is up here, and Garrett Grayson is way down here. Um. Grayson is this is his uh, what third year in the system, and yes, like I said during during the game, he stared down the rush. He showed terrible mechanics. Uh, still got the elongated throw. He's holding the ball way too low from his body and set it up high and tight like this. He's still holding it down here. He um, terrible footwork. Never stepped into his throws. That's why you had so many short passes or passes that were dying where the receivers had to drop down to the bottom to grab it because he's not stepping into his throws. Um, and to me, the, the, the thing that gave the whole game away as far as the difference between Ryan Asib and Garrett Grayson, you look at that segment uh, late in the third, early in the fourth quarter, Ryan is driving uh, the Saints um, – and he gets drilled. Uh, yeah. That guy comes in clean, hits him in the chest, drives him to the ground, knocks the wind out of him. He has to come out. Grayson comes in. They do a handoff. First play. He doesn't get anything. On second down, on, a, on third down, Grayson once again stares down the rush and gets sacked. Um. So he and Nassi were playing behind the same offensive line, but Nassi was getting the ball out quicker. He had much better touch in the ball and was much more accurate. Now we'll see against the Chargers on Sunday whether or not Grayson has a bounce back game. I don't think he will. I think neither. I think Nassib is going to beat him out again. But I don't think the Saints keep two quarterbacks. I think this is just the last – this is the long farewell tour for Garrett Grayson. Uh, I, I completely agree. I tried to be uh, delicate with the wording of what I've said uh, in the in social media in regards to Garrett Grayson. But basically the long, short, and sometimes ugly reality of this is, as Alan pointed out, this is his – Third year uh, in the 
system. He's shown basically, uh, if you look at his entire of work, he has shown absolutely no progression from year one to year three. He still has the same bad footwork, still making the same bad decisions. He's still throwing the, the lob pass when that's not what he needs to be. He's still making the same bad decisions that he made uh, as a rookie two years ago. And uh, he's had all this time. Being a draft choice does not afford you unlimited opportunity to to prove yourself. If anything, it works in the other direction where you have a much higher bar set because the team invested in you. So you have to step it up. And in New Orleans, uh, dare I say that the bar is set even that much higher because you're coming behind Drew Brees. If there's anything, it should be for you to, to step up your game to what you bring to bear to that guy that they saw in you to make you that draft choice. And I, I have never seen from Garrett Grayson. Now, mm-hmm. forgive me if, I, if I'm overstepping my bounds by saying that. I have never thought that Garrett Grayson was at the next guy up for the New Orleans Saints. I don't, I don't see it. Now, in all fairness, there do I see and to see best possibly being the next guy for the New Orleans Saints? Very possibly. He has, uh, I want to say, maybe four years' experience picking up Eli. Is that correct? Um, wait. Grayson has uh, Grayson was a 2015 draft pick. So I'm talking to see. Oh, now see, I think he's uh, no, he's he's not that he's not that old. Hang on, I, I think he's backed up Eli for either three or four. Oh yes, he did. He did back up. He did back up Eli. Okay, I understand what you're saying. Okay, I misunderstood what you were saying. Okay. Yes, he did. He did back up Eli. Um, Ryan came in. He's 27 years old. He. Uh, he was drafted in 2012, so he's a little bit older than uh, a little bit older than Grayson by about three years, so three years more experience. Uh, he did back up uh, Eli last year and in 2014. Okay, I, I don't, I don't put that out there to say that Nestor is way up here and Garrett is way, Garrett Grayson is way down here. I don't, in terms of. Confidence uh, in Grayson, I have none. Uh, every opportunity afforded to him by being a uh, third-round draft choice, and he's done absolutely nothing with it. Uh, well, you know, I hate to put that. Here's and this should be a lesson for everybody who thinks that you know you can just draft or just grab the next Drew Brees or whatever. Um, it's not that easy. It doesn't happen. Uh, for every Tom Brady, Joe Montana, and these all guys that were drafted in the uh, third round or less, um, 
uh, Russell Wilson, um, you know, Kurt Warner, who wasn't even drafted. Um, you know, you go through a lot of bad quarterbacks, and that goes across the league. I mean, I don't care what team you're talking about. Um, you know, um, I can just Matt Barkley comes to mind. You know, that was a that was a draft pick for the Philadelphia Eagles. He didn't. He never panned out. Uh, lots of quarterbacks bomb because a quarterback, unlike a running back or a receiver or a cornerback or a defensive and offensive lineman, one of those kind of guys where your physical skills either have it or you don't. So much of the quarterback's game is mental. So much of the quarterback's game is um, the ability to translate what you do in the classroom onto the field. And you have to, you know, constantly work at it. And it's not to say the other positions don't do that, but the quarterback is the most demanding. That's why you have so many first-round busts. That's why you have so many failures. That's why there's 32 teams, but really about 24 legitimate starters, okay? Yeah. Uh, that's why you have this. Uh, that's why they're the most highly paid player on the field. It's because and the supply of quality quarterbacks uh, is much smaller than demand for quality quarterbacks. And that's also why that they're every year, every draft that a team is willing to overreach to try get that diamond in the cup as well. I mean, let's look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, for example. How many quarterbacks did they go through from – 20, uh, 2002, when they went to the Super Bowl, until now with Jameis Winston, how many quarterbacks did they draft? How many quarterbacks? Oh, they, yeah, how many quarterbacks did they draft highly and try and get them to start start for them? How many wow. quarterbacks they gone through? The Buffalo Bills since Jim Kelly retired. The Miami Dolphins since Dan Marino retired. The San Diego Chargers. Cleveland Browns. Yeah, Cleveland Browns. San Diego Chargers, uh, until you, you had a brief time with Stan Humphreys, but I'm talking about from Dan Fouts to Drew Brees, okay? And then Brees wasn't really that good for the Chargers until his last two years, I, 2004, 2005. I, I, I um, go from Fouts to uh, Stan, actually, Yeah, in, in terms of that franchise. Right. When Stan Humphreys was a guy that got from Washington. Uh, he, you know, uh, I forget the general manager's name now. It's you know, the Bethard. old Washington Redskins. What was it? Bethard. Yeah, Bobby Bethard. Bobby Bethard. Bobby Bethard had him brought over. The Oakland Raiders. How many quarterbacks the Oakland Raiders go through before they finally got Carr? From the time this week. Uh, yeah, the time that Plunkett retired. Okay. Oh God. All the way to Derek Carr. Yes, they had a brief time where they got Rich Gannon, who got him to the yeah. Super Bowl. But I'm yeah. talking about Mark Wilson, Todd Marinovich, uh, you know, Jay Schrader, uh, uh, Jeff Hostetler, you know, at the end of his career. Uh, 
They brought back Vince Evans. You know, I mean, they went through uh, Jamarcus Russell and his purple drink. You know, they how many quarterbacks did they go through before they finally <laughs> found a franchise quarterback? You just caught that, huh? <laughs> there, there's that delay in the broadcast. Yeah. I mean, you know. And well, I well, have... let, me ask you, let me ask you this. In terms of what you what you saw, and by that, I, I want to take into consideration that yet, and you and I, uh, we don't look at a first preseason game the way that normal people do. I want to put it in terms that anyone can understand. Being mindful that this is the first season game, do you have three guys that showed up for the oh, yeah. Cleveland game for the New Orleans oh, Saints yeah. that that are going to be names to watch moving forward? Alvin Kamara. Alvin Kamara. Oh, I mean, you, yes, you look it, at that dude. You look at that dude and – that is a faster Pierre Thomas with the hands of a Sproles or, um, um, you know, Reggie Bush, those kind of players. He, he's going to be something special. He really is. Uh, you're going to have a real three-headed monster. And I think that the more Kamara gets used, the more he's out there. I mean, he's shot out of there like a, like a, a cannon out of that offensive line. And early in the game, I mean, Cleveland didn't know what hit him. You know, uh, if – and I saw one play where a guy got a clean hit on Kamara, couldn't wrap up, he slid off yep. and broke through for another 10 yards. Uh, I mean, he by far blew me away. Um, to be honest with you, saw, if I may inject something here yeah. that's relevant to the point you just made, you know, you and I are both – and I don't mean to put myself above anyone ever, but you and I are students of this game. We, we see the relevance of an Alvin Kamara now, but base that on what we've seen from the Marcus Allens, from the Barry Sanders, and, and I've mentioned that name specifically for a reason. I don't know that I've seen a player with this absolute, control of his uh, let me see uh, his lateral movement, his balance as Alvin Kamara since Barry Sanders. Now, that's to uh, say yeah. that I think he's going to be the next Barry Sanders because it's a completely different groove. Don't, don't read me wrong. I'm just saying yeah. Alvin Kamara possesses Ability to be that special a player. I think Kamara is going to be an impact player for the Saints, much like the way uh, Freeman and uh, that other running back for Atlanta, whose name escapes me right now. This is Freeman. what I do. You know, I, no, Freeman, and the other, what's the other guy's name? The one who got hurt in the Super Bowl. Um, he's uh, more of the power runner. Um, I can picture him. I just can't think of his name. You know, <laughs> when I type these responses on Facebook, I'm actually Googling stuff to try and remember people's names. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I think Josh, Sh Josh Schultz is going to be so mad because I didn't know this, but uh, 
I'm at a loss. Oh, well, it's okay. But anyway, he is going to have that kind of impact. Um, it's going to be a not so much a thunder and lightning kind of backfield with with uh, with Ingram and uh, and Kamara, but it's going to be a thunder rumble lightning back <laughs> backfield almost. You're going to get <laughs> you're going to get some hard hitting out of Ingram and Peterson, and you're going to get the flash. You're going to get a lot of speed out of Kamara, and it's going to be a matchup nightmare for a lot of defenses because they're going to figure out ways to get all three of them out there at one time, or at least the two of them out, Kamara and Peterson and Ingram, to really get that defense, A, get them out the box, and B, spread them out. Uh, I would not be surprised to see him line up in the slot. I would not be surprised to see him line up outside the numbers, you know, as a receiver, just to get those matchups and spread a defense out for those quick hitters, for traps, for screen passes, whatever the, whatever the case may be. And we're seeing Peterson out there catching screen passes now, too. So it's all about diversity out of the similar formations, okay? Just different players coming in, running different positions, but they're running the same basic look. So a defense can't key on any one thing. Um, some of the I, other I guys, think, I thought that's... I, I think it... it was pointing out that we didn't even see Kamara as a pass receiver. No, and you probably, you're probably going to see him. If you do, you might see him a little bit in, in the third game, which I think is against the Texans. Yes. Um, yeah, you might see him a little bit in, in that, but um, I doubt we'll see much of him catching passes in the uh, in the second game against the Chargers. Um, I could be totally wrong, but hey, I remember in 2011, a preseason game, I think they threw maybe one pass to Sproles all preseason, and he struggled catching that one. And I was like, oh, well, you know, that could have been nice. But then when we found out, come regular season, oh, no, they were just sitting on those things. Um, well, well I, I, don't, I don't read a whole lot into things like where is Mark Ingram or – and Peterson going to fit into this offense because an offensive mind coach like Sean Payne, he's going to find the best possible matchups and situations to take full advantage of those guys. Alvin Kamara is going to be one of those tweeners, I guess, if, if you want to call it that. He's going to make or me, take full advantage of what he brings to bear and make it work for the same. It's just, it's going to bring back a bit of an explosion of the Saints offense that we've sort of been missing since, you know, Pierre Thomas and Sproles were gone. The screen pass will be back in the offense. Um, the the passes to the back, uh, the matchup problems. Uh, it's going to help Kobe Fleener. Um, it's going to help Michael Thomas. It's going to help Willie Sneed. It's going to even help uh, Brandon Coleman. Um I think those, you know, they're going to have to pay attention to those underneath dump-off passes that used to be, okay, Breeze is under pressure, he throws a five-yard dump-off pass, and the guy is brought down, so it's a six-yard gain. Now that five-yard dump-off pass could turn into a 15-yard dump-off pass if the defensive backs have their backs turned to them because a linebacker alone is not going to bring this guy down. Um, 
he's going to move those chains, and that's what we need. How do you help this defense? Longer drives on offense, more ball control on offense, more weaponry on offense. You score a lot more. That's the kind of thing that helps this defense. Uh, a couple other guys I thought that really stepped up their game. I thought uh, Muhammad, um, the sixth-round draft pick, had some nice moments. He uh, he showed some pass rush skills. Uh, I was really impressed, especially because Hendrickson was uh, was out uh, this past game because he's been missing some practices. I yeah. thought he really showed something that for a guy who hasn't played football really in about two years, he's showing he has some moves. He actually did learn some things while he was at the University of Miami. I think he's still pretty raw, but it's good things to see compared to some of the other guys that we took kind of flyers on late in the rent, late in the draft who ended up not doing anything for us. And then Anya Mata played very well. I thought we saw a lot more out of him. Um, I of course loved Warford because when you talk about Kamara's running earlier, I thought on one play Warford just totally blew out that, uh, uh, Cleveland Browns offensive line leaving a huge hole for Kamara to go running through and nobody touched him for about 15 yards um, you know Michael Thomas is Michael Thomas I mean we're looking at a guy who if he can stay healthy and stays with the Saints he will surpass I believe Marcus Colston's most of Marcus Colston's records because he is I think, I think not, that's a good good one He's got the Jimmy Graham, and I know people are going to cringe at this, but he's got that Jimmy Graham kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, uh, range. Yeah, range, you know, reach for a ball. You can put a ball practically anywhere in this range. He's going to get it. And he has an explosion. Is a matchup problem. He is the kind I, I believe, if I'm gonna make a prediction for this season, I think he will be the first Saints Pro Bowl receiver since Joe Horn. Uh if he stays healthy and produces like I think he, he can, he should. Uh we're looking at a guy who's gonna catch over hundred balls and ten touchdowns and more of a thousand yards receiving. Easily. I think that's what you're gonna see out of this guy. Uh, just because I think he's that good. And I think players like Kamara and Sneed and even uh, Kobe Fleener, you know, I know people are ch chuckling at that, but I think those guys are going to help him get those balls. Um, well, I, I think, you know, to, to bring this whole conversation uh, completely full circle, your guys like um, your, your Sneed, your cleaner, your breeze, AP, you, you saw absolutely none of these guys against Cleveland and well, I, for the for the most part. How can you it's speaking to those guys that are ready to jump off of high buildings uh, based on what they saw against Cleveland Browns, how can you accurately judge this team when all of these people that I just mentioned Aren't even active. Pro, I, I couldn't believe Pro Football Focus even did grades on people. Why are you doing grades on 
performances in preseason because it's not about the coaches are grading them. Yes, but the coaches are grading them based on specific scenarios that they're looking at. Uh, it, it's difficult for you as an outside individual outsider grading these guys because we're not they're not looking at these guys from the standpoint of winning the play per se. It's more or less what do you do well in a game type situation? What do you do poorly on? And they're gonna put you in positions where you will look bad. Like like Swan having to cover a guy one on one uh, late in the game. They want that isolation to say, okay, can he do this? Is this guy ever going to be uh, – is he ready to be a starting cornerback or is he going to be that fifth or sixth defensive back for his entire career that he can't match up one-on-one? He's going to need help all the time. He doesn't press well. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't run well, okay? The coach is going to put you in that scenario because it doesn't matter what the final score is. It's about evaluating this guy. We're going to put him in a situation where – he either makes the play or he doesn't make the play. And if he doesn't make the play, okay, we know that now. You know, we will grade him accordingly to this. But when we grade him and we put him in positions where he's always going to be successful, we have no idea what kind of player he really is. Because we only know what we already knew before we came into the game. And that's how you have to look at preseason games. It's about putting people in positions where they may not be successful, but it's the only way you're going to know whether or not they can they can be successful. You're going to put a guy that you know can't rush the passer in a guy in a position where he's going to have to rush the passer because this is what you expect to see out of this guy eventually. You know that kind of thing. Um, well, that's just how preseason has to be. You have to look at it. Okay, well, you know, you and I, uh, you both know that there's a very different uh, expectation criteria uh, with last week's game and this week's game and the next week's game and then the following game. We're looking for turn of this San Diego game that's coming up Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you got a, you got a two week. I'm sorry, you got a two day practice with them. Um, I know the training camp right now is now officially closed to the public. There are no more games or any practices you can go watch. Um, and the media, I think, is forbidden from now filming some of the practices, except for the warm ups and maybe you know some any in interviews at the end. Maybe a couple of things where they're using stretches and that kind of stuff. But they, you know, they're not going to watch. They're not going to be able to film any more of the practices. So, you've got, I think, uh, Thursday and Friday. I think is the days you're going to work out with the with the uh, the Chargers out in Los Angeles. I'm going to screw that up a few times. Um, I think what you have to look for in this upcoming preseason game um, does Garrett Grayson look any better? I'm sorry, you have to deal with a lot of him. Uh, does Daniel play longer than two series? Does he actually play a whole first quarter? Does Drew Brees play at all? 
Uh, does Mark Ingram show up at all? Does Adrian Peterson come in at all? Um, what does Kobe Flynn look like? Kobe didn't play at all in, in the uh, previous preseason game. Look to see some of the guys who missed because of injuries. Uh, does Trey Hendrickson come in and play? Look for more linebacker shuffling. How does Stephon Anthony? He looked pretty good when he made that sack, but he struggled a good bit at the mic again. He looked better playing the will. How much more does uh, Anthony play on the weak side? Do they try him again on the strong side in this game? Uh, does Lattimore make an appearance? Um, those are the kind of things I think you need to look for in this upcoming preseason game. I, uh, I said going into Cleveland that there were three specifically I was looking for. I was looking looking for what kind of play we had out of the linebackers and – Oh my gosh, <laughs> lost my notes. Uh, uh, how the defense cohesion looked uh, for the first game situation coming out. Um, moving on to San Diego, I'm going to see what this offense can do against and what I consider to be an average defense. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to see uh, eating a bit of a dead horse, maybe, but I want to see which one of Ryan see Garrett Grayson steps up into that role and wants, excuse me, wants to be that, pl- that third quarterback, not cut or uh, what very well won't even equate to a practice squad here at this point. And I want to see also this wide receiver core is beginning to develop into. I know it's Cleveland that um, the midget, what's his name? Tommy Lee Lewis. Yeah, Tommy uh, midget, I'm sorry. Uh, Tommy Lee <laughs> Lewis very, very good game against Cleveland. And I think that he's stepping up into that uh, that group of receivers that will make the 53-man roster. But at the same time, and I made this point to someone earlier this week, number four, five, and six wide receivers we may retain on that 53-man roster is going to have to serve double duty, I believe, in the return department as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, the, especially the fifth receiver is going to have to be able to play special teams. And I think we saw Tommy Lewis come out and throw down the gauntlet and say, you know what, this job's going to be mine. Uh, you have to take it from me. And we did not see anybody else coming. I didn't see Corey Fuller out there really doing anything. Um, uh, and I had Corey Fuller making the roster ahead of Tommy Lewis. And obviously that's going to change now. Let's see if Tommy Lewis can keep this going. And – become more of a threat as not only as a receiver, but also as a gunner on special teams and as a returner on special teams. Um, you know, I'd like to see a lot more work on that regard and see, you know, who is going to – we know Ted, what Ted Ginn Jr. can do, but let's see if Tommy Lewis or Alvin Kamara can be that punt returner, other kickoff returner, so, you know, they're not going to know who to kick off to. Um and I missed one other person. We got to see how he comes back from injury. Ryan Ramchek, uh, 
He's going against Joey Bosa. Uh, how does Ryan Ramchek look uh, against the Chargers? Uh, does he show he is ready to be a starting left tackle? Because I don't want to see Khalif Barnes or um, – or uh, <laughs> I can't even think of his name, the cockroach. <laughs> um, uh, I, can't, I can't think of his name and it will come to me, uh, but the guy who just never goes away, um, he just keeps coming yeah, back. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. You, I, you did cockroach in through. Yeah, I, I, don't need, I don't need either of those guys to be a starting left tackle. I need Ryan Manchek to, to man the spot until Toronto Armstead is ready to come back. We saw uh, Max Unger come in, uh, I think it was yesterday, Today and actually show up in pads at practice. Now he didn't actually do any work. He kind of worked on the side, but we said he yeah, said in, initially the timeline was that third preseason game he should be ready to go. Will I doubt he'll play preseason, but it looks more and more like he may be ready for game one. So you know that's something else we have to keep an eye on. Let's see if he starts showing up in practice. And the reporters who are watching, if they, if they see him out there working at the first unit again. So, like I said, some of those injured guys, let's see what they like this preseason game. It'll be their first preseason game. A um, couple guys like Daniel Lasko, uh, we got to see, you know, how he does. Uh, I think he's got a leg up right now on the, that fourth running back position. But it's a tenuous step. He could easily be overtaken by Cadet. He can be easily overtaken by somebody they're going to bring in. We saw, what, four guys come in, five guys come in this week. So, you know, you know much the like bottom half of this roster is going to shift a lot. Like what I said earlier about the wide receiver core, I believe the same thing about, about running backs as well. Bottom half of what we retain in that 53 man roster going to be determined by if you want to call it that double beef of special teams. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Adam Big Hill, we have to see what he can do. I didn't see much of him. Uh, I was trying to watch for him. I didn't see much of him against the uh, against the Browns. He, Let's had, see what he, he had uh, no exactly how many but I looked it up he had one tackle. Against yeah. him, and yeah, I'm, so I'm very, very do. seriously want uh, Adam to be able to have the opportunity to prove to this organization that he would be an asset to be kept. Yeah, and it's going to come down to special teams for him as well. I think. Yeah. If I made a projection, I think the starters and everything I'm hearing, the starters for the linebackers are going to be. Um, Robertson on the weak side, Manti Teo in the middle, uh, and A.J. Klein on the strong side, you know, and uh, A.J. Klein's going to call the defense. But, uh, you know, where does Anthony fit in? How much does he rotate in? Um, you know, where? what else goes on from there? Um, I see a lot in preseason. So it's a lot to look forward to. Don't pay attention to the final score. It, it'd be great if they win the first preseason game since 2014, but 
the final score is not nearly as important as how do they play when the number ones are out there, how do they play in that first quarter or first few series that they actually play against? I saw our so-called starters on defense hold the Browns to no first downs in the first half. I think a whopping three yards and two punts. And our first string offense for what it for, for whatever you want to call that. Um, marched down the field twice, got a field goal, but probably could have scored had you had, you know, more of the – you had Drew Brees and, and Ingram and Peterson, those kind of players in there. So it was a lot of positives to look at. Now we have to see, does it build? Yeah. So when the third preseason yeah. game, when they actually play a whole half, do they come out kind of like that machine we saw in 2009 and 2011? Come out there and just start moving the ball in the defense, start getting those turnovers and things like that, so they're good to go come Monday night against Minnesota. And that's what we have to look at. Don't look at the final, you know, fourth quarter, who scores, who doesn't score. That's not nearly as important as when those number ones are out there playing. That's what you have to watch. That that's you know a lot of people you know it it's been so long since we seen Saints football that it's easy to jump in there and try to get right back into it and say we gotta win we gotta win. it's not about winning or losing at this point winning and losing here profits you absolutely nothing moving forward towards the ultimate prize of making the postseason making the Super Bowl winning that preseason means absolutely nothing in regards to that. All that you're doing is evaluating the talent that's going to help you get the point you're at to that point. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, it's uh, 9.15. We probably should wrap it up. <laughs> and we go over, we go over because we just start getting on the on roll on things. Um, you know, like I said, just when you watch the game Sunday night, it's watch the first half, pay attention to when the starters are out there. Um, and then from that point on, then look for specific players that you want to see do well uh, and see how they do out there. It's nice to win preseason games, but it's not, uh, it's not the end of the world if they don't win. Okay. It's, it's not nearly as nice as winning season games. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, I'm the uh, <laughs> talk about the uh, the fallout from the second game against the San Diego, no, I'm sorry, Los Angeles Chargers. Playing in a stadium that is really built for soccer, that holds 30,000 people, so we're talking about Yulman Stadium size, where Tulane plays, or Tad Gormley size, where high school teams in New Orleans play. Um, we're not if you see the badge, don't, don't be harmed. It's a story where the Los Angeles Chargers of 1960, when they were in the AFL, actually drew a larger at Balboa Stadium in 1960 
and StubHub and the Los Angeles Chargers of 2017 drew uh, their first preseason game. That's truly amazing. So I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing this. Again, I don't understand why the Chargers even moved to Los Angeles other than the fact they wanted to try and uh, ride on <coughs> with the Rams and get their new stadium. And it's a, it's a team nobody wants anymore. Uh, and it's truly sad because the Chargers have a fantastic history. Um, some really great players have played for that franchise. And the Spanos family's kind of flushing it all down the toilet in a chase for a new stadium. So uh, that's something to see, to watch too, this this Sunday night. So enjoy the preseason game. Remember, it's a preseason game. Don't get upset if the Saints lose this preseason game. Focus on what we were talking about all night tonight. So until next time, we'll see you under the dome. Bye. Thank you guys so much.